0: I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. In this episode, our guest is designer, illustrator, and author Mike Brennan. As a boy growing up in New York, Mike created heartwarming greeting cards that lit up the faces of his family and friends. He always had an innate sense that his art was a way to serve others. Mike went on to study at the Fashion Institute of Technology and the School of Visual Arts in New York City. After completing his schooling, Mike began his career as a graphic designer. However, after a time, he began to suffer from some depression and found that he needed to rediscover his artistic abilities and use them to encourage and inspire others. Mike now helps fellow creatives and content creators through public speaking, an online community, and a course called Your Artist Journey. I'd now like to welcome Mike Brennan to our show. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, James, I appreciate it. Mike, I'd like to start off by asking you, where were you born and raised?
1: Yeah, so I was born in the islands, not really, uh, Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing oh. tropical, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, I was born in Staten Island, and uh, or as we say there, Staten Island, it's kind of like one word, and lived there most of my life, and then really has stayed within the New York, New Jersey area my whole life.
0: That's kind of neat. So Staten Island, tell me a little bit about your family roots. Like when did your family come to Staten Island? Uh,
1: That's a good question. I think it was my grandparents who came. I'm not really sure at what point. Um, I think they were a little bit older, but my parents were first generation Staten Islanders. And so there were always those conversations of like, oh, we remember when the mall wasn't there and it used to be farmland and you know <laughs> whatever those kind of things were. Uh, you know, the days gone by, and even now, I, I feel like I do the same thing because Staten Island has changed so much. Uh, you know, when when you're that close to New York City, it gets populated and overcrowded in a hurry. So um, anyway, yeah, they've been there. I mean, they were there for a really long time, and so that was that was always home for me.
0: Yeah, you know, I. Remember, our church did a uh, an outreach after Hurricane Sandy, and we went to Staten Island. Yes, and there was such terrible devastation there after that storm. Did you have any family out there on the on Staten Island at that time?
1: I, I did, and I still have family there. But thankfully, they weren't in those areas that were, you know, widely affected like that from Sandy.
0: Yeah. So, tell me, Michael, do you have any kind of special memories, uh, childhood memories? From uh, growing up in Staten Island?
1: Yes. Uh, I don't know that they're necessarily tied to only being in Staten Island, Um, but my world when I was a kid, you know, I was very shy. I was like painfully shy and I really kept to myself a lot. Because I was one of those kids where if I started to feel like attention was being called to me, I would get embarrassed. I would feel the heat rise in me and I'd feel like, uh, you know, people are looking at me and, you know, I would just kind of really turn inward. And so early on, I watched a lot of TV, um, a lot of cartoons, a lot of uh, comic strips and comic books. That's really what my world was filled with. I loved them so much that I joke around and say that I actually wanted to be a cartoon when I grew up. And when I figured out I couldn't do that, I, I said, well, the next best thing is to be an artist. So always with stories, always with you know these incredible characters and adventures and you know, all these stories and, and that I just fell in love with. Uh, and so that was really the, the basis for so much of what was to come later for me.
0: So did you have any specific favorite characters in comics or on TV or cartoons?
1: Yeah, I mean, I loved Looney Tunes, you know, Bugs Bunny and the whole gang. Uh, oh, yeah. I always found the voices really awesome as well. I always tried to mimic voices. I went through a phase in, in college where I was kind of like the annoying guy um, who would just always try to do all these voices all the time. And um you know, I just enjoyed it because again, it was, it was fun. It was, uh, it was something that I just really loved the comedy and the timing of things. You know, I think that's where I learned a lot of of my comedic timing, de- definitely from Looney Tunes <laughs> and, oh, um, right. you know, even appreciating things that were from a different time in history that I didn't necessarily know anything about. You know, there were, there were things that, you know, I was like, I don't really understand the context, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. So Looney Tunes definitely. And then there was some comic strips that I really enjoyed, like Calvin and Hobbes, um you know, the boy who has the imagination, you know to do all these wild things with his, uh, you know, stuffed uh, tiger. And um then also Bloom County. I was really into that because of one of the characters, uh, Opus, who was a penguin, you know, with this really big nose and just very, um it was an odd comic strip for sure, but uh, for whatever reason, I really resonated with a couple of the characters in there and used to try to take my hand at drawing them, you know, and, and, and I remember creating when I was in the eighth grade, I had this English teacher, Mrs. Harris, and she loved Bloom County also, and we used to talk about it all the time and talk about Opus, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to create a piece of art for my teacher of Opus and give it to her. And I did that. And I, I'll never forget that her face lit up and she was like, you made this for me. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Cause we talk about it all the time. And she went and she hung it up right on the side of the the bulletin board that was next to the blackboard. And, uh, I just felt so much pride in that moment of like, wow, you know what? Like I created something it made her smile. It was a connection point for us. Um, and so, you know, memories like that are really special to me, you know, creating greeting cards for family members as well. Um, Those were all things that I just love to do, where it was like taking the things that I was really interested in, and that were affecting me, and creating out of that, and then giving it away to somebody and seeing their face light up.
0: Oh, I love that. So you got some of your inspiration from watching these shows on the cartoons and the comics, but then that it sort of inspired you to create your own characters and pictures. And then when you see the people appreciate it and enjoy it, and then you give it away, it's like a win-win for you. Was that your way to sort of, in a way, compensate for your shyness?
1: I guess it might have been. I haven't really thought about it in those terms, you know, because when you're a kid, you're just kind of showing up and you want to play and you're just, you're a lot less inhibited as far as doing what, you're interested in, uh, to a certain degree, you know? Yeah. So for me, it was like, Hey, I really love art. I really love drawing. It's something I do by myself. So I don't have to worry about other kids picking on me or, you know, (laughs) any of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, and then again, giving it away to people that were around me that were in my life that I loved, that meant something to me. And, you know, it formed a connection. I would never have put it in those terms. Obviously when I was a kid, I didn't realize that, but looking back, that was the thing that for me was like, oh, it's not just about simply creating, it's also
0: about connecting. So did your parents recognize your artistic ability as well?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, They always encouraged me, you know, they would put things up on the fridge, like, you know, typical parents would do. Um, And it was funny, because you know, I remember actually early on, I did this pencil drawing of Jackie Gleason from The Honeymooners. Did you? And yeah, I did, and I was really—I I was young, um, but I had seen a picture in a magazine, and I used that as a reference, and I did this this portrait. And I just remember my parents being like, "Hey, that's really cool. Like, you should send that to him," because uh, at this time he was still alive. And you know, I was kind of like, "Ah, I don't know," you know, and I felt a little bit like self-conscious, but then also it was. I don't want to give my artwork away, (laughs) like to send it out in the mail. And who knows if he's actually going to get it or what's going to happen to it. I don't, you know, Uh, sadly, I don't really know what happened to that portrait that I did earlier on. I probably should have just sent it to him, but that was one that I, I kind of held back, unfortunately, but they were always very supportive in that and realized that as I got older, it was like, okay, this is really something that he's interested in. You know, it was time for school. And I was pretty adamant about going to art school, Somehow, I thought it was going to be spiteful. Where I told them, "Well, if I don't go to art school, I'm not going to school at all. You know, I'll shipwreck my life and show you." You
0: know, take that, take that exactly. <laughs> How did that go with your parents? I mean, when you said I want to go to art school, what did they say?
1: Yeah, they they were like, "Are you sure?" Um, <laughs> you know, and I understand that. It's it's every parent wants to see their child excel and do well and not struggle, and the thought of the starving artist. Is so pervasive in our culture that it's hard for that to not be the prevailing thought. Mm -hmm. And so when I had those conversations, you know, especially like my dad, he was a New York City detective. And so, very different world and i joke about it because he was at one time teaching in the police academy that was a couple of blocks away from the school of visual arts one of the buildings in the campus there mm-hmm. and he used to be with his fellow officers and they would look out at a certain point and they would joke about how you know all the weirdos at the art school and how they had to arrest somebody because of drugs or whatever and he made a statement of something like you know you know no kid of mine is ever going to go to a school like that well ps Years later, that's the exact school that I ended up going to. <laughs> so, you know, comedy built in there. Um, yeah. And and as much as it wasn't his world whatsoever. And again, he saw like the worst of the worst, you know, having to, to do these arrests and things. There was still support for me in the things that were important to me, for sure. Uh, one of the things, though, that was in the conversation was, well... Can you at least do something that can potentially make you money, not just, you know, drawing or painting or animation or something, but like do something that has a little more um, profitability and in, in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so I had decided on graphic design for that because I was also like, you know, I'm into music and, and I really like a lot of the pop culture stuff. And so if I can get involved with designing things for some of those, you know, either bands or, or organizations um, that could be a win as well.
0: Sure. So tell us about your college experience. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah, you know, I loved college. I went to uh, Fashion Institute of Technology first. I joke about that, too, because I'm like, you could never tell from the way that I dress. I'm not the uh, the fashion icon. Uh, <laughs> Neither <laughs> <but> am I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, I was surrounded by it there. Um, but it was a good foundation for me. Uh, I had a lot of other students who I was friends with, I'm still friends with to this day, that were in the program with me. And it was advertising and design. That was the degree that I graduated with. It was an associate's degree, two-year program. And I just really fell in love with the various classes that I had in packaging design and advertising and graphic design. And You know, it was really giving you this base and this introduction to some things that are more specific within graphic design. So you were supposed to identify, okay, where is it that you really want to zero in on? Is it, you know, specifically graphic design? Maybe it's editorial design for magazines. Is it packaging design? Is it branching off into toy design? Uh, Is it advertising where you're really doing more concepts and maybe art directing and creative directing. So it gave a good introduction to all those type of positions and roles and helped you figure out what is it that you think you wanna steer towards. From there, I ended up uh, going to School of Digital Arts and continued on in my degree for a bachelor's degree in graphic design and three-dimensional design. And so I was learning from a lot of instructors who were in the field doing work that was very relevant one of my professors was uh, Tony Palladino who was the creator of uh, the Psycho logo Um, was really cool he was he was an amazing guy I really clicked with him he had so many great concepts and that was the thing that, that I took away from him was this whole idea of like design isn't just about arranging things on a page. It's not just about, you know, colors and fonts and, and all the, you know, layout, but it's really also about communicating and it's about concepts. And so, you know, it starts with your thinking and then it translates into what you do with your hands. Right. And aside from that, I also did a three-dimensional uh, illustration class, which was, that was incredible too. It taught me a lot of things where, Basically, it's like you would be presented with some kind of problem to solve, and then you had to figure out how to solve it. So, for instance, one of the projects was design a fish that lived in the East River in New York City. (laughs) What would that look like, right? So we had to come up with these concepts and sketches, and then once it was approved, we had to figure out how to make it. And so, you know, for me, it was, uh, I, I had a fish that had cement shoes attached to it. You know, um, <laughs> you know a, a lot of like comedy and, you know, concept in there, right? And so one of the things that was actually really foundational for me in that was we had the opportunity to present for uh, Jean-Michael Basquiat, uh, the famous artist who had an opening after he had passed. Um, there was kind of a, a, a show put together for him in his honor at the Whitney Museum in New York City. And so this was a student show that was going to happen alongside of that for a couple of days. And it was, um, you know, in October and in his work, he had a lot of like skeletons and things that were part of the theme. And so for us, because it was October and Halloween and skeletons and all lot, we had to design our own skeletons. Like, what would that look like? What's the concept? So for me, I decided I was going to design a skeleton that was made of dog biscuits. And so I came up with this concept, drew it out, and it was like figuring out, okay, how do I get dog biscuits? I could buy them all different sizes, right? So that I can then dremel little holes in it and glue wire and attach and make this whole design of like an arm and a hand. And then I had to like use other things for like a pelvic bone. And the biggest thing for me was I had to learn how to weld for this because it needed a structure to hang on. And I'm like, I don't know how to weld. This is crazy. Like, what am I supposed to do? And so our professor, he was always like, listen, you come up with a great concept, and then you figure out how to do it. And if you can't learn or acquire a skill, then you figure out who you know that has that skill that you can tap or you hire out, but you figure out a way to move forward. And so That forced me to think about something very differently as opposed to, oh, well, I have this great idea, but I can't execute it because of X, Y, and Z. It was like, "Mm, no, that's an excuse. You figure out how to do it. And so that became my signature piece, which was called Mike Bone. And I used to leave an actual dog biscuit with a tag that was like kind of reminiscent of milk bone. And I would leave that behind in job interviews as my little calling card. And so it became my Mike bone. And that's where the handle for my Instagram Mike bone has come from all these years later. I still refer back to that because it was a pivotal moment for me in understanding you come up with a great idea and then you figure out how to do it.
0: Wow. I'll tell you, just listening to you say, first of all, I envy people with your imagination that you could come <laughs> up with something like a skeleton made out of dog biscuits. It is so, it's so amazing to hear that. And and I'll tell you, people with your creativity, just I I think you're a breath of fresh air in this world. I'll tell you that. And thank you. Uh, but also, as you mentioned, your the professor that you worked with was really preparing you for life. I mean, yes, you're talking about a three-dimensional, uh, piece of art, but talking about problem solving and acquiring a skill that you need, or, or if you can't do it, you got to learn how to go to somebody else and learn how to do or have them do it or teach you how to do it. What better way to prepare students for life in any type of field yes. Than to go through that process. And of course, in the end, you've got this piece of art that, uh, is now your sort of your signature piece, which is fantastic, I love it. So you really enjoyed school and you enjoyed college. Did anything change for you when you graduated? Yes, I
1: graduated and it was like an economy that was not great and there were not a lot of jobs. And so (laughs) it was like, welcome to the real world. Um, I ended up freelancing for a bunch of different places in the city. you know a week here or and there of different places that gave me some more context of like okay this is what it's actually like in the field now yeah. not just things that i want to do cuz i find interesting but here's real world problems to solve and then eventually i got my first job at a really huge advertising agency in new york city and they had really huge accounts and i was kind of thrown into this world of being an art director's assistant, you know, for the art directors who were all there and the creative director. And it was so fast, yet also frustrating at times, because I was trying to assist art directors who weren't necessarily giving me a whole lot until maybe like the end of the day, and then would say, hey, we got to work through the night because we have a a meeting in the morning. And I'm like, where was this stuff earlier today? And it was probably sitting on somebody's desk and they're out for lunch and whatever. So it was a little frustrating. And beyond that, there was also something was happening within the culture of the the organization where they would do what they called flushing the creative system, which basically meant they went on a firing spree of firing not only art directors, but copywriters and people in all sorts of positions across the board to get some new blood in there and to just change some things up. But it felt like being on the Titanic. People were like, I don't know if I'm next. I don't know what's happening. And it was just a very stressful environment. And it was also not very personable. And so I I struggled with that. I only lasted about a year there. And then I ended up going to another place where I was doing magazine layout, which I loved. But I was the art department. So it was very, you know, the extremes. Um, But each one showed me that there were different problems to solve, that one wasn't necessarily greater than the other. You just had to figure out how to thrive in each situation.
0: But in both cases, you were getting valuable experience. Exactly. At least you are thinking in your own mind, is this the type of thing that I want to do for the rest of my life? Or what right. am I going to learn from it? And it's going to help me decide what I do want to do. Yeah, for, for my- sure. Yeah. Yeah. So then what happened after the second job? How long were you there?
1: I was there for about, I want to say four years or so. Um, There was a staff change that happened there and then kind of a turnover where a new editor came in and we kind of clashed. And then, you know, this was kind of a a track that I was on for a while where every once in a while, every say like, I don't know, three, four years or so, I'd be in a position and then I would hit the ceiling for whatever reason, either it was a staffing change or maybe it was I started to feel a little bored or felt capped with my abilities um, and there was really nowhere else to go within the organization. Mm-hmm. And so around that time, I was really, really struggling also with this whole thing of, okay, I'm now I'm at a magazine that there has a deadline of every two weeks and I really love the people, I love the place, it was close to home, the commute was great but I felt like I couldn't even really enjoy the work that I was doing. And I had another deadline right behind it. Yeah. And then on top of that, I started to feel like, is what I'm doing actually making a difference? Like, is there any significance to what it is that I'm contributing mm-hmm. on a bigger scale? And I was really wrestling with that too, because I was plugged in with my home church where I was doing a lot of volunteer ministry stuff. And that's where I felt like my heart was coming alive. That's where I felt like, you know what, that stuff is where I can see that I'm making more of a difference. It's in the lives of people. And I felt the tug towards full-time ministry. Didn't really know what that was going to look like. Didn't really understand how that could be a path forward. I'm kind of like, all right, God, like, are you sure? Because like, remember, I'm the artist. I don't know about like going to seminary and Hebrew and Greek and all that. I'm the artist, you know, (laughs) right? So, But, um, long story short, I ended up having a position where moved out to Long Island and where my best friend growing up, he was a youth pastor at a church and they needed somebody to assist with various things. I call it the slash job in ministry. It's basically all the things that nobody else wants to do, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's, uh, you know, it was, it was nursery slash college ministry slash worship leading slash a little bit of design slash whatever else happened to happen in there. And so that was a a career change for me. That was really crazy because it meant selling a home that we had just bought. It was a trajectory of life that all of a sudden was going in a completely different direction. It was, um, you know, our first child was on the way. So it was like a lot of like, Oh, okay. Life is going to look really different right now. And so that led us to move to Long Island and become part of this church in this capacity. And then eventually there was an evening service that happened there that was more like rock and roll church, if you will, um, which was definitely more of me and my friends, you know, style and way of communicating and, and what we had wished that we had when we grew up, honestly, as a church. And so this is back before there were a lot more of these type of churches than there are today. and. The thing just really was attracting a lot of not only high school and college, but also some other families who were looking for something different. And they felt like it was being, um, things were being communicated in a way that was relevant and relatable. And so uh, about five years into that position or so, maybe it was three, I don't know, I kind of lose track of some of it. But um, my friends said, hey, you know, I really feel like God is saying to plant a church, and to start, start our own church. Uh, is that something that you feel like you want to, you know, do? Is it something you feel called to? And so I was contemplating that, praying about that for a while, and I felt like, yeah, you know what, this is this is what we're going to do. And so we launched out and started our own church. Wow! And it's still there today. It's thriving. It's, it's doing great. He's still the senior pastor there, and the thing took off like a rocket. We had a church that was um, kind of surrendering assets because they had dwindled and so they turned over a building and all the the remaining assets to us um so right from the beginning we had a building we had a a little bit of you know whatever the assets were there um we started with uh, i believe three services but quickly went to five services on a sunday
0: services
1: Yes, because we were capped by the size of the building, unfortunately, but there were so many people coming in and it was such a special time and there were so many people coming to faith and it was like, it was crazy and it was phenomenal and it was taxing. I mean, it was, it was in a word, it was ministry. Um, We had a situation also where someone put a $3 million lotto ticket in the offering plate and that was crazy because then all of a sudden the media got a hold of that and it's like three of us on the staff and all of a sudden they're hounding us for interviews and people are coming out of the woodwork for hey we hear you got money can you donate you know that kind of thing yeah, sure. um and then you know just trying to figure out what's next and all that so anyway all that stuff it just kept growing and thriving and yet what was happening for me i came into the role there as really an associate pastor kind of position but was doing a lot of other roles to get things up and running that were great in the beginning because it was sort of creative. It was creating ministries and it was dealing with church branding and it was dealing with a lot of things to kind of start up. And then once things kind of got going for a while, there were younger guys who I released, you know, doing um, uh, worship leading responsibilities to and some other creative responsibilities and eventually found myself in some roles where they're really more administrative and not really in my gifting. And I felt like I was starting to lose myself a bit. And one day somebody came to me and they said, you know, I think you are suffering from depression. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not like home on the couch, like crying and like sad. I'm like, I'm too busy to be depressed. You know, I didn't have an understanding of truly what depression was. Nor did I realize that that was actually true, that I was suffering from depression. And so as time went on, it got worse. And it became this thing where it was obvious I needed to leave the church that I helped start, but I didn't really know what to do, where to go. And so, you know, I felt chewed up from ministry at this point. It's a lot of stripping away, a season of loss. It was, we need to sell our house because we don't know where we're going to end up. We need to leave our faith community. We need to leave family who are in that same community. Um, there's finances wrapped up in that, like all these things all in one bowl. When one thing starts to unravel, it affects everything else. And so we found ourselves in this place of just really not knowing what was next, a lot of stripping away. And at that point, also I'd found out that my dad had cancer and it progressed rapidly. And I, what brought me to New Jersey was actually a position in another church. And that was as a graphic designer and so I kind of felt like, all right, at least I can kind of go back into design world sort of, uh, it's, and it's in a ministry context, so it's kind of bridging the gap. But the first week I started there, my dad passed away. Oh, and um, it was just rock bottom. It was is this what life has become now? Like I, I don't understand how all this happened, and wrestling through a lot of faith issues myself of like, you know, God, how can you let this happen? And you know um just wrestling. And in the midst of all that, I heard the voice say, Come back to your own art. Come back to your personal art. Because it had been about 10 years since I had done any art for myself and really anything professionally, having been out of design world and, and you know, professional creative work. And I was like, I don't really know what that looks like. I don't know if I can do that. But I remember thinking to myself, I need to try because I need this for me, not for somebody else's project, not for a client.
0: Deadlines.
1: Yeah. I need this for me because I need to feel alive again, if that's possible. I blew off the dust of some of my old art supplies from college. And I got a new sketchbook and I went to a Starbucks and I sat there and I sketched the Starbucks coffee cup and it was awful. Um, I was highly embarrassed. I looked at the thing and I was like, I really hope nobody's looking at me knowing that I went to art school and thinking like, that's what this guy can produce. This is what he's executing. This is pitiful. But in that moment, I made a choice and I wrote on that page day one. And I had been introduced to this idea of doing a 365 day art making journey which sounded like absurd, honestly. When you've been away from something for 10 years, how can you show up for an entire year every single day and do that thing?
0: Yeah, it's That's a stretch, right?
1: It seems so intimidating. And yeah. again, I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is possible. I don't know if this is going to be fun. I don't know if this is like, ugh, am I setting myself up for a complete failure? You know? But I felt like I need to try. And so I decided I'm going to show up every day and do something, even if that something is like a five or 10 minute drawing. And it's like just a pen drawing or pencil drawing. I have to do something. And so I broke things down into smaller bite-sized themes. And I, I tried to figure out a way to make it more accessible for me. So I didn't have to think about, I'm doing a year worth of art every single day. But can I show up for the next seven days and just draw whatever objects are around me? Can I show up the next seven days after that and draw some animals or some flowers or whatever it is and just start letting that come back into my life in whatever way it's it's supposed to whatever way seems to make me feel more alive and so the more that I did that the more that I felt life returning and the more that I felt like you know what this is actually more than just momentary lunch breaks and you know after hours things where I'm sketching standing in line at, at a store or whatever it was This is leading me someplace. This is doing something bigger than I actually even realized. Yes, it's returning some life and some health to me and getting some healing, which is really important. But it also started to set a track in me of like, you know what, this is actually what I want to orient my life more around. And I remembered how I would create things when I was a kid and give them to people and see their faces light up. And I said, I need to get back to that. Once I feel like I'm in a place where I'm executing well enough again. I need to pursue that as much as I can. And so through that journey, I ended up finding my voice and my style as an artist, shedding some lies that when I first got into art school, I had trouble doing a lot of proportions and I couldn't do a photorealistic style. You know, So my drawings didn't look like they were actually photographs. And that was what was celebrated. And because I couldn't do that, I told myself, You're not a real artist. You can be a designer. You can deal with colors and fonts and all that kind of stuff and layouts. Great, no problem. We already have a proven track record for that. But as far as an an actual illustrator or a fine artist or a real artist, you know, quote, um, there's no way that's not for you. And so I had to confront that lie. And through a series of just, there was a book called The Creative License by this guy, Danny Gregory, who spoke into me a lot of things of giving yourself permission to show up giving yourself permission to make mistakes and embrace the weirdness and the wonkiness of your art because that may actually be part of a style that you have. Um, And so embrace it, don't resist that. So the more that I did that, the more that I embraced my mess, the more confident I grew in this and the more opportunities I started to see. And I've been on this 365 day art making journey. It's a little past nine years. Every single day I've shown up and done a drawing or painting or something uh, for the past nine years. And that teaches you a lot when you do that, show up and,
0: you know, consistently. Yeah. You know, I want to back up a little bit here because this journey is is very uh, interesting to me because first of all, when the friend or coworker had mentioned to you, uh, you're depressed and you didn't know it. You yeah. didn't think you were necessarily what is it that they saw in you that was different that made them say that? Do you know? Or did they ever tell you that? I think it
1: was just my disposition of struggle and nothing seemed to be making me happy or satisfied in my work, which then further fueled some conflict internally because I'm like, well, I'm in ministry. I'm helping people. Yet I feel like something's off. And I can't help myself. And round and round we go, how am I supposed to help other people when I'm in this place and I feel damaged and I'm starting to feel like just clouded in my thinking? I felt like like the visual that I had in mind was this knotted up ball of twine and I couldn't find the beginning of it to know how do I unravel this thing? You know, I had always prided myself on being very self-aware and being able to talk myself through things. But this was something that was so much bigger than me And I didn't know how to do that. And I needed some outside help, which terrified me. Um, So it was really that you're not yourself. You're not showing up the way that you would normally show up around people. Even when you're by yourself, there's this cloud.
0: Gotcha. So even though you were getting things done, Mm -hmm. you were helping people, you were very active. There was just this spark that wasn't there. Yes. Really,
1: yeah. And I was later diagnosed with dystymia, which basically is a depression that is very, um, it's caused by circumstances and situations. And it can be long-term because of being in those circumstances. And so that was part of me leaving was understanding that, hey, I need to leave because the more that I stay here, I can't get better. I can't move out of this depression in the environment that I'm in. Not that it's wrong or right or whatever. It just is what it is. And, and I need to go and move on to whatever is next, which was very difficult.
0: I bet. Because you have a family you're, you're supporting and you've got that concern, but you were sort of wearing out where you were at. And when you talk about the 365-day art journey, that is just so uh, it's so, it makes so much sense the way you described how you started it. Uh, and how you're still working it today. Because it's almost like, it's, it's like exercise, it could be reading a book, like mm-hmm. I want to read more. But I don't, I don't have time tonight to sit down and read uh, half a book. Uh, but yeah. boy, I could I could read five pages tonight. exactly. And I could read five pages tomorrow night. And, and you know what? After a certain amount of time, you've read that book and you've accomplished something and you've learned something. It sounded to me like with you, it's the same thing with art, even though the first day you're like, ooh, I don't like the way this, this cup looks, it looks terrible. But you started the process and it just continued. And you know, with exercise, you do a little exercise every day, you're gonna you're gonna get strong in spite exactly. of yourself, right? Exactly. Um, but it also did something else, though. So you started to deal with some even some technical things in your art learning, you said about not being able to do the realistic paintings or or drawings uh, that were very much in demand maybe at one time. And so not only uh, being disciplined about doing something that you love, but also even making some enhancements to things that maybe you didn't think you had the ability to do at one time, right?
1: Yeah. And I think it really, I think of it in terms of uncovering some things, Yeah, things that were in me that I didn't recognize or didn't validate or didn't have validated for whatever reason. And so when I started to show up every day, it was a place for me to play and experiment. There was no pressure for me to have to perform either in front of other people, although I posted everything always on social media just as an accountability factor. Um, It wasn't, again, for a client. So there wasn't that pressure. There weren't budget constraints. It was, what do I want to do? Like, what do I want to explore? And there was a freedom in that. And I made a lot of mistakes. and I made a lot of bad art. Um, But you have to go through a lot of bad art to get to the good art. And you have to go through a lot of experimenting of some things to figure out Oh, this is actually what it looks like for me. This is the context. This is my style. I was trying to emulate other people, or I was trying to do what I thought I wanted, but through enough exploring, I realized this is where I need to be. I need to embrace my mess, right? I wouldn't earlier on, I would get so like frustrated when. I was trying to be perfect. I was trying to get everything just right. And I would see other art that would have like splatter marks and things on it, you know, painting stuff. And I would admire that. But then I would also say like, how can those people do that? I mean, you spend all this time on this piece of artwork and then you're going to take some paint and you're going to splatter it on it. Like it just seems so chaotic and out of control. What if you ruin it? Right? Like these are the thoughts I'm having, right? Yeah. Not realizing like, you know what, actually, I really love that. And I need to embrace that. And so I figured out Okay, when I show up every single day, I'm going to have a lot of artwork. And so if I ruin something today, quote, you know, ruin it, it's okay because tomorrow I show up and do something else. And so that took the pressure off of treating something too precious, uh, having this what I call masterpiece mentality, where as artists, a lot of times we want to sit down in, in one setting, come up with our masterpiece bring it out, you know, the heavens open up, this the, the shaft of light comes down and it's like here is my masterpiece I'm giving it to the world. Oh, you know. And it's like that doesn't really happen. I mean, maybe every once in a while, but most of the time for everybody else, you have to just keep showing up. You have to just keep iterating and figuring stuff out. And then when you find something that is like, "Oh, I made all these mistakes leading up to this or I made all these learnings leading up to this piece." Now, this piece is actually more about just the piece that you're looking at. It's about all the things that came before. It's about the process. It's about my, my experiences that are summed up in this in this piece of art. And even when we look at the masters in the museum, right? Yep. It's it's like the equivalent, you know, the, the, the Instagram highlight reel that we talk about today, you know, where everything's always great and sunny and happy and it's all the best. You know, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the best in the museum. And rightfully so, we should celebrate that stuff. But We also do a disservice, I think, when we don't acknowledge that, you know what, on the other side of that painting, there's all the screw ups, there's mess ups, uh, there's stuff underneath that they painted over because they were frustrated and they were like, oh, that didn't come out good, you know? Um, And so we set up this whole comparison and competition type of thing that doesn't do them service or us service, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. And so you started to heal. By doing this, by staying at it, something every day, something every day, you started to learn things about yourself and you started to learn things about your art. So you started to feel like you were lifting out of that depression that you were experiencing. And wh- how long did it take before you started to actually feel you were moving the needle?
1: You know, I don't know that there was like a day when I woke up and was like, hey, you know, I feel like myself or I feel better. It was a gradual thing because I think it was a gradual thing that I got into. So it was a gradual thing to come out of. And it was a combination of getting out of an environment that I needed to. It was getting help, you know, professional help that I needed. Right. It was allowing myself space and room. And I'll be honest, in the beginning, it was frustrating because. I was in a position where it was like, I was in leadership. I was making high level decisions. I was in some of the meetings behind closed doors, making decisions. Mm-hmm. And then I came out of that. And then I was sitting in a cubicle. And I was like, you know, I felt like I was pushing pixels. You know, that's what we'd call it. Um, yeah. You know, where it's, you're, you're showing up and you're doing what you're supposed to. Do and, but the capacity was diminished. The leadership wasn't there because the health wasn't there. And I needed to accept that. And, embrace it as God saying, Hey, you know what? We're going to pull the car over on the side of the road right now and just get some health and some healing and perspective. And it's not always going to be like this, but for right now, there's a season that you need to go through in order for this to happen so that it can set you up for what comes next and allowing that to happen gradually, allowing myself to stay in that place as frustrating as it was some days knowing that there's a process at work, knowing that there's a plan at work that's bigger than me and trusting and going, I, don't, I wouldn't choose this. I don't get this. But ultimately on the other side of it, when I finally did start getting some help and I started to put some frameworks around my process and things, started to share with other creatives, I realized, oh, that's my story. Now I have something that I can share with other people That gives me some credibility because of what I've been through, gives me lenses that I can share with other people who are maybe suffering themselves and need some some healing through some art or want to come back to their art because they've been away from it for a long time or frustrated because they don't know how their art and creativity fits into their lives because they've chosen the practical path. And yet there's that thing in them that bubbles up still and goes, Don't ignore this. Don't ignore this, this desire to create, you have to have an outlet for it. Um, And so all of that, my mess became my message, you know, in my art and in my life.
0: Mess became your message. You know, uh, when you said in the beginning of this uh, discussion that you used to enjoy sharing your art with others, whether it be, whether it be on the refrigerator or your teacher would hang it up or, what have you, that your ultimate happiness came and appreciation of of your own art came through sharing with others and making other people happy and, and things like that. It sounds like you really came full circle and started doing that again yeah. because you, on the 365-day art journey, you were building uh, back your passion again. You were discovering things about yourself. You were doing things that made you happier but you're also growing in that because you were finding new things about yourself and then then the full circle comes when you're like hey i want to help others do this as well because you know art is art can be such a i guess it can be frustrating if you're dealing with deadlines and trying to please other people and having to redo and redo certainly be frustrating i'm sure but by the same token it is something that can, it is an expression of your, your feelings. It's an expression of your, your gifts and things like that. And it probably can be uh, very soothing in many ways and to get that creativity out. Can you tell us how that works? What are you doing today to accomplish that, to reach out to others and help them discover what you discovered? Yeah. I mean,
1: on the most basic level, I'm just trying to show up and talk about my experiences and my story as much as possible, because I think in sharing that stuff, that's where you normalize it a lot for other people. Because when you're going through that kind of stuff, it's very easy to feel isolated and alone and feel like your experiences are only your experiences. Mm. And that there's something wrong, Um, but when you hear other people's stories and you resonate with that, it gives you hope, it gives you a connection point. And so You know, I have a group that's called Daily Creative Habit. It's a Facebook group that is filled with all types of creatives who are going like, you know what? Yeah, I want to show up more consistently for my creativity and my craft. I want to be in a community of creative people that we can talk about some of these things. Uh, And so it's free and it's just, you know, I open it up for whoever wants to be in there and be a part of that community to encourage them to say, you know, share your story, share your work, show up, like be active in this, be engaged. Um, and then I also speak, you know, from time to time at different events and and share my story and really all with the goal, again, of, of encouraging some other people finding a, a place that's some common ground. And I feel like if, if in whatever way, my experiences, the stuff that I wish I didn't have to go through the stuff, I don't, it's not comfortable to talk about in the beginning. If there's a way that that can be redeemed for somebody else, then I'm like, you know what? there's power in that. And so, um, it's that way. And then, you know, it continues to grow. It's, it's just, uh, me either teaching or coaching or showing up for other people as I show up for myself and my own creative work is, you know, every day too. Now you
0: also have written a book
1: Yeah. I've written actually a few of them. Uh, And writing, you know, written is is kind of a, um, a funny word because really it's, they're illustrated books. Part of the process in me showing up was exploring different themes, right? So for my first book, it's called Dear Snow, One Man's Angry Rant Against Winter. And it just came out of my experiences of being frustrated living in New York, New Jersey, shoveling snow that was insurmountable and getting just like, you know, uh, and what I started to do is I, I, you know, I would take to social media, to Twitter actually early on, and I would just tweet angry tweets at Snow and I'd be like, dear Snow, get off my lawn, you know. And so. It became kind of this running joke with people who are following me and my friends. And they'd be like, oh, it's knowing Mike's going to be angry again. What's going to happen? You know? And so one day somebody jokingly said, hey, you should make that into a book. You know, all these tweets that you have, these angry tweets. And I was kind of like, that sounds ridiculous. Who would ever buy a book that's of angry tweets? I mean, you know, like this is weird. <laughs> but then I thought about it and I said, you know what? What if I took that and made it into an illustrated book? So I devised, I was like, you know what? Of course, I'm the hero. Um, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and my my evil enemy Snow is an evil snowman. And each page just goes into this descent of madness of winter until finally spring comes and snow melts, right? So it's poking fun at the whole winter and frustration and doing it in this really sarcastic and snarky way, um, kind of like marrying grumpy old men uh, the far side, Calvin and Hobbes, uh, probably a couple other influences thrown in there, but, you know, each page has its own um, caption of what's happening along with the illustrations of uh, that are done very much with a, a, an homage to Calvin and Hobbes type of uh, Bill Watterson, the artist there. So um, that was fun. And I did that all in 30 days. Really? I illust- yeah, I, I went back and, and found all my tweets. So I first researched that put that in the list, identified the ones that I thought would be good to translate into illustrations, then took those and figured out, okay, I'm using an iPad. So I'm doing this stuff digitally, my drawings, my illustrations. So I I identified what those were going to look like. I created those. I created some uh, marketing around that. I had to figure out how to self-publish on Amazon. Like for me, doing this stuff wasn't just about like, okay, me showing up and exploring artistically themes, but it was also me setting myself up with projects where going back to to college, right? The whole thing of, hey, you have a concept, you figure it out. How do you do it? I realized that that's how I learned best. It's not like, oh, take a class on here's how to self-publish a book on Amazon. So that one day, if you're interested, like it doesn't really interest me, that doesn't land on me, but in the middle of something, I'm like, hey, I need to know how to do this. How do we do it? I don't know. We're going to figure it out. We're going to jump in. We're going to make some mistakes. We're going to break some stuff, but hopefully at the end, we have something that's successful. And even if not, then I've learned something. Yes. Uh, And I know what to apply for next time. And so that set me on a course for self-publishing through Amazon, through their platform. And I was like, I did it once. I know I can do it again. I know how to do the illustration stuff. I know themes. And so you know, there were several books that, that follow that. It was uh, another one that was, you know, Dear Human, What Your what your Dog Is Really Thinking. Uh, so it was all, I did 100 days of cartoon dogs as one of my projects, as part of my 365 day, you know, art making. And so I took some of those and turned those into, again, one page, you know, kind of captioned. Uh, artwork and just comical about what what is your dog really thinking? Like when you're looking at your dog and they look at you sideways or when they're doing that really weird thing, like what is it that they're really thinking? And so I gave voice to that. Um, so it was a lot of fun. And, you know, that provided me uh, again, another, another book. Uh, then after that, I did something that was a, a departure from both of those things. I was doing uh, basically a year's worth of yoga art. Um, I was finding inspiration in some of these people's poses where I'm like, these people are doing some incredible things. And for them, it's about their health journey and about, you know, them embracing that. For me, it was finding inspiration, even in just what they were doing, how they were doing it. And so I would find some people who are doing these interesting poses on Instagram, and I would use that as source material. And then I would create something and I would post it on Instagram, tag that person and say, hey, thanks for inspiring my art. And that became another point for me to give back. And so many times people were like, wait, the, what I just posted, like inspired you to create a piece of artwork. And I've had, you know, people who just like basically broke down and said, like, you have no idea what that means to me. Like, I just found out some terrible news today and I feel like my world is falling apart. And the fact that you created something that was inspired by a photo I posted made me feel seen and heard. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, powerful moments like that so anyway i had a whole year's worth of yoga art and everybody's looking at me kind of going like mike what is wrong with you like you're you don't even do yoga like are you okay you feeling well you know <laughs>
0: right you don't even like, do yoga. Like you're it. a
1: 40 something <laughs> overweight white guy like what the heck is going on with the <laughs> yoga stuff right and i'm like i get it i understand right but it was just a place i was in where i felt like this was something I needed to explore more. And so with all the stuff that I had, I said, okay, well, here's source material. I've already done the work. Turn this into a book, right? Because that's what you do. You you create, then you figure out what else can I do with this? Okay. I've shared it on social media. I've used blog posts. I've, you know, maybe sold some prints or whatever I've done with it and sent it to people, you know, as just some encouragement. But yeah, what if I made a collection in a book? And then I thought to myself, well, that's okay. But I don't want it just to be a book, page after page of all this art that I did. That's kind of like, hey, check out my yoga art. Yay. You know, if you're into yoga, cool. But I was like, there's an opportunity here for something else. And that whole thing of me, not just, it's not just about the creating, it's about me connecting, right? That's always a theme, recognizing that, leaning into that. And I said, well, I'm going to select some artwork and say, reach out to these people who inspired this art and invite them to be a part of this project. Would you like, to be a part of this book that I'm putting together. I'll give you a little area where you can share your social media handle or a website or you know, what does yoga mean to you? Why do you do this? Why is this important to you? So I did that with these 16 strong ladies, uh, everyone who was a stay-at-home mom to a CEO of a company and invited them into this. And they were so honored. And it was great because again, it was this community thing. It was this connection thing. And so that's The Art of Yoga, uh, that book that I published. And then more recently I did uh, <laughs> is Infectious Art. It's uh, Pandemic Pop Culture Portraits. When COVID first hit and I realized like, okay, this is hanging around for a little while. We're going into lockdown and quarantine and dealing with you know toilet paper shortage and hand sanitizer and all the stuff that was happening day to day. I was creating art out of those moments and in a way that was kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge because there was so much heaviness that I was like, we need a little levity in this, not to make light of what's happening, but just to, to bring a little bit of joy if possible.
0: Yeah. And so
1: I tied it to a lot of pop culture stuff where it was pop culture icons, you know? So it was, you know, Darth Vader with his mask, right? You know, we always know Darth Vader has the mask and the breathing and all that thing. And he's got another mask on top of that. And he's like, what, can can a guy be too careful, you know? Um, <laughs> and then, you know, it was it was a, a illustration of, you know, Bob Ross and it was- he has a mask on and he's like, you know, keep your happy little phlegm to yourself, you know, and Michael Jackson, you know, with his gloves, right? The one glove. And it was like, you know, hey, have you seen my other glove? Because I really need it right now. You know, like, so all these kind of funny little quips that I illustrated in this really loose portrait style that I came upon and compiled this book for infectious art. And that's, again, available on Amazon. With each thing that I was doing, I was trying to figure out, okay. Where do I need to repeat a process and where do I need to do something different to change it up a little bit?
0: Right. So all of your books are available on Amazon. Yep. Mike, you also do a podcast, I understand. I do. I do. Could you tell us about that? (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Yeah. My podcast is called Creative Chats and it'll be two years. uh, Actually, this year, yes, October is two years. And I started it because I wanted to have some conversations with people in creative fields that. I wouldn't necessarily have been able to do otherwise. You know, people, some people like where I really respected their work, but I wasn't going to be like calling them up and being like, hey, really like your stuff. I'm a fan of it. And like, isn't that cool? Like, can we have coffee? Can we talk? And, you know, um, it's kind of old Saturday Night Live skit uh, with Chris Farley where he would be with somebody who was famous and be like, hey, remember that thing you did? Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. And then there was like nothing to talk about. (laughs) It was really (laughs) awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it can't be that. It can't be that. So I was like, you know what? If I have the podcast, if I start this podcast, I want to have conversations with creative people across all different types of expressions. I want to give voice to their story, their journey, their process, and just be curious about them. Because I found that I really needed those when I was, you know, and I still do. I, I resonate with other people's stories. so. I know there were times when I was dealing with things and hearing somebody else talk about how they went through it or or sharing some resources that were really helpful for them. Those were the moments that were really big for me. And so I figured, you know, if I can have these conversations with people, then I can record them. So it's not just my benefit, but I can share it with other people. And so that again, other creatives can feel like maybe they're not so alone. And so um, it's a weekly show. Most of it is interview style. I've had um, you know some people on there like Butch Hartman, who's the creator of Fairly Odd Parents, animated series that's you know really really popular, as well as some others. I've had uh, Michael Sweet, frontman of Striper, the old '80s Christian metal band, who, uh, that was, that was my band when I was in high school. <laughs> so that was a, that was one of those definitely that was like uh, this is more of me of a fan kind of geeking out a little bit, uh, but then also other people who are just friends who are visual artists or musicians, uh, even entrepreneurs, because I found that, you know, as creative people, we need to also think about the business side and think about how are we connecting with an audience? How are we building systems and positioning ourselves in a marketplace? If we're trying to sell the work or trying to monetize in any sort of way at all. And there's a lot of people who have been really creative when it comes to building businesses and systems and what can we learn from that? So it's not just creativity in terms of drawing and painting music and things that you would typically think of, but, really a thread of creativity that can run through whatever expression it is. It doesn't really matter. How can we find that common thread that we can apply to whatever our context is?
0: Right. Now, uh, your podcast, is is it available on most of the major platforms?
1: Yep. All the major platforms, Apple and Spotify and Google Play and all the other things that are always coming out. (laughs) (laughs) If you just search up Creative Chats and if you have trouble, put my name in there, Mike Brennan, it'll come up right away.
0: Yeah, so it sounds to me that you're creating and connecting, and you're helping people. And it's—I think that's your—that's your true passion. You know, this is a audio podcast, but I can see on this Zoom call your artwork. Some of your just a small sample of your artwork hanging in your office behind you. I see some amazing stuff there. Uh, You're such a creative guy. I'm gonna leave you with this question. Mike, what do you want your legacy to be? Hmm.
1: That's a big question. It is Um, huge. (laughs) I think I want my legacy to be that I really lived. And that as I lived, I used my creativity and used all the things that God put in me, leveraged that to make people feel seen and heard and elevated other people, help them in their own
0: journeys. Well, you answered that beautifully. (laughs) That's great, Mike. Thanks. Are there any other projects you have for the future that maybe are on the drawing board? They're sort of uh, just starting to be hatched in your imagination. Do you have anything that you can tell us about?
1: Yeah, I try to make sure that there's always something happening and that I'm pushing into some areas that are new for me just to keep things fresh. Uh, I've done a little bit lately. Um, a matter of fact, it was last night. I just recorded a demo with a company called Etcher, and I'm doing some workshop stuff with them as far as teaching my style on the iPad using this program called Procreate. And so looking for other opportunities of how I can share some of my knowledge and, and um, <clears throat> some of my journey. And, um, you know, just really looking to expand opportunities to share my story and connect with people in whatever way that looks like. If that's uh, in a coaching session with somebody or if that's speaking at an event, leaning into those opportunities for connection and creation.
0: Well, thank you for that. And I know that your story is very inspirational and I think it's gonna help a lot of people and Mike, I really want to thank you for being a guest on uh, our podcast. You've been really terrific. And I, I wish you all the best in what you do. Well, thank you, James. It's my pleasure. Okay. Have a great day, Mike. You too. Okay. All right, bye. Bye-bye. So for all of our listeners, keep discovering and telling stories that inspire you and others. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. Please subscribe, share, and check out our website at yourhistoryyourstory.com for episode notes and bonus content. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.